Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast. We are answering some of your questions. How do you do this? You go to the funastrology.com website. That's my other podcast. And, oh, I'm Thomas Miller, by the way, Robert Glasscock here. Sorry. <laughs> Forgot my manners, Robert. And you go to the top of that page, and to the left-hand side, there's an orange button. And you click on it, and you can leave an anonymous, if you wish, or email, if you wish. You don't have to, but you can leave us a message like this. Hi, Thomas and Robert. My name is Anique, and I am loving the new podcast the two of you are doing together. And Robert was talking about how, for women, our first two children um, can be indicated by the fourth and the sixth houses. And I was hoping Robert could elaborate on that a little bit. Like, if we look at our charts, how do we determine what sex our child will be or anything about our children just by looking at our charts? For example, my um, fourth house is in Pisces, and I have Jupiter there at 20 degrees and my sixth house is in Taurus, and it's empty. So what would that indicate about my potential future children, and how can the rest of us figure that out? Anique, that's a wonderful question, and this question actually needs a little bit of setup. So Robert and I are going to talk about this setup piece, which also is going to be in the show notes. So it probably would be best, unless you have masculine and feminine signs and planets already committed to memory, for you to call up the show notes and have this information in front of you, because Robert is going to be talking about odd signs and even signs i.e. masculine and feminine, and that's how you determine. So Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Sagittarius, and Aquarius, every other sign, starting with Aries, are masculine. And the feminine signs are Taurus, Cancer, Virgo, Scorpio, Capricorn, and Pisces. So every other one beginning with Taurus. Okay, so that's one. And then, Robert, this one uh, gets a little bit uh, controversial, especially if you go online and do some research. So let's just go down the list here. The sun is masculine, correct? Yes. And before you go with that, let me just tell you an easy way to remember about the signs and masculine and feminine. The fire and air signs are all masculine. The earth and water signs are all feminine. Good. Excellent. And hopefully people do have those committed to memory because that's just a building block of astrology. Yes. Sun masculine, correct? I want to just go down yes, the list and, yes. and you either correct or confirm. Moon, obviously feminine. Yes. Mercury is neutral. Neutral. So it doesn't get counted as either. You don't it's move a, it into one camp. It's just, it's like Mercury is negated, right? It, it's, it's a neutral planet, but it's a chameleon planet. So it takes on the coloration of the sign that it's in. But it's a neutral planet, yes. So if... Mercury is in Aries, do you count it as a male planet at that well, point? Well, for example, if you had uh, if you had Aries, uh, wait a minute, what are we talking about? Mercury, all right. If you have, say, Gemini on one of the cusps that relates to children, then you look, and, and no planets in that house, then you look to see, all right, Mercury rules Gemini. Gemini itself is a masculine sign. So that's a masculine sign on the cusp. Mercury, is, which rules Gemini, is a neutral planet, but it's in Aries. That's another masculine sign. So you have two for male and, and one for neutral. So that would equal a male. Okay. Um, for example. 
Well, uh, okay. I'm just wondering, is there any situation where you could count Mercury as either male or female, depending on what sign it's in? Not really. Not, really. not, okay. in, this, not in this context. It's a neutral planet. So you have to, to honor that because it is a chameleon planet. But it, take the sign that it is in to get the coloration of Mercury. Got it. Okay. Venus yeah. is feminine. Yes. Mars masculine. Yes. Now, the outers are where this gets a little dicey. Jupiter masculine. Yes, normally, but it rules Pisces in the Chaldean system before we discover the outer planets. So Jupiter is, it's the higher octave in a way of, of Mercury. So um, it's one of those tricky planets. As you say, yes, it's a male planet. Most astrologers count it as a male planet. But you have to remember, it also has this ancient association with Pisces, which is a female sign. But so, yeah, I count it as a male as a male. Planet. Okay, that's the confirmation. Good. So we can understand it broadly, but specific to this calculation of determining children from the houses in a chart, you count Jupiter as masculine. Yes. Saturn, masculine. Generally, yes. But remember, it rules Capricorn, which is a female sign, and it also rules, co-rules Aquarius in the old Chaldean system. So Saturn is also, if you read Liz Green's book on Saturn, she calls it Janus, the two-faced god. And so it does have, but most astrologers count it as masculine. And again, when you're doing the children from houses, you count it as masculine. Mm, yeah, I'm hesitating because this begins to get very fluid when you're really trying to determine the sex of the children, which I'll, I'll show you in a moment. But yeah, I generally count it as, as masculine unless I have reasons not to, according to the horoscope. Okay. See, so I was saying, I was, yeah. you get yeah, into these outers, you're getting into is, some yeah, interesting yeah. territory. All right. Exactly. Uranus, neutral. Masculine. Masculine. Ah, okay. See, this is why we're doing it. We didn't rehearse this. Why do you say masculine? Well, it's associated with Aquarius, which is a male sign for starters. And the old god of, of Uranus is also a male figure. Now, that gets you into interesting territory because the old god Poseidon, which we associate with Neptune, was also a male god. And yet Neptune is, by most astrologers, considered to be feminine. Exactly. Told you this was some deep stuff. All yes, right, it, so yeah, yeah, Neptune, yes. then you count as a feminine sign, a feminine planet. Yes. And Pluto. Now, this is the one that really will fire. You want to fire off an argument. Pluto, for this purpose, from Robert, feminine. Correct? You know, yes. For, <laughs> These pauses. For, for me, yeah, well, the reason I pause is because, once again, the, the, the myth of Pluto is uh, guiding the dead souls across the river Styx, S-T-Y-X, and it's a male god. And I know many astrologers who consider Pluto to be feminine, to be male. I really don't. I think of it as it's, it's uh, a female planet to me. But in any case, you can avoid some of this when you're working with uh, predicting children. If you take uh, the old Chaldean rulers, so for Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto, it's a, Scorpio is ruled by Mars, which is a male planet, and yet Scorpio is a female sign. So this can get complicated, which I'll explain a little more as we get into this today. 
But yeah, I think uh, I, I always think of it as feminine. And a lot of astrologers disagree. And that's fine. We should. But it to me, um, you know, if I can go back, for example, to the Chauvet Caves in France, which are about the oldest. Uh, I think we've found some cave drawings that are a little bit older, but nonetheless, the oldest ones, 36,000 years old. And the cave, uh, ultimately, when you get all the way back into it, you can see a film by Werner Herzog called uh, Cave of Dreams, which is an incredible film because nobody's allowed in this cave because oxygen and breathing will uh, contaminate and destroy the, the cave drawings. But when you get back to the furthest recesses of the cave, that's the Holy of Holies. And what they did, these 36,000-year-old humans, there was a is a giant stalactite hanging from the ceiling, which they turned into with charcoal drawings, a giant vulva. They were worshiping the source of life, which is a baby born of a woman. So they were matriarchal at that point. Uh, which has completely been usurped now by the Abrahamic religions, which are patriarchal. But the original, if you go back to those old cave drawings, they were worshiping females, which is the great mystery. The men give the seed, but the woman has the egg, which becomes fertilized and can turn into a, a new life. And that's always been a, a, throughout history. Men have big issues with women because they can't, nobody would be alive, you know, without them, nobody would be alive without a man. But the woman nurtures that fertilized zygote and embryo and fetus and so on for nine months and then presents it to the world. And that's a stunning kind of miracle, especially if you're a primitive tribe to see that look at what's happened here. This woman is giving me a baby. That's an incredible miracle. So there's great strength and power in that. And for example, the patriarchal religions, almost all of them are misogynist in nature because of the power that women have archetypally in life. And we're dealing with those very issues today. Politically, we are. So um, anyway, back to your... Let's your tackle Anik's question then. Yes. So where do children... Now, with that context, where do children show up in the chart? It is complex. Basically, the fifth house in anybody's chart, male or female, shows the propensity to have children or maybe the difficulty to have them. Fifth house shows children childbirth and fertility in general, along with the moon, especially in a woman's chart, the moon shows fertility according to the sign the moon is in. And afflicted planets in the fifth house can show difficulties with childbirth and with children, raising them and so on. It can show sometimes losses, miscarriages, abortions, for instance. But after any of those possible difficulties, if a woman has more than one child uh, and she, she goes on to have children, even I, I once had a client, an actress, and I, I'll never forget it. I was looking at her. I said, how many abortions have you had? And she said, four. Is that going to mean I can't have children? And I said, no, far from it. You've got a cast iron uterus. Yes, you can have children, which she did. But she'd had four abortions. 
If a woman, even if a woman has had miscarriages or abortions and she has a, the first child and then she has a second child, her first child is shown at her fourth house in a woman's chart. The first child in a man's chart is shown at his fifth. A woman's second child is a sibling of the first. So it shows at the sixth house, the third from the fourth. Her third child would be shown at her eighth house and so on. Now, this gets you into fertility, especially the, the moon sign, but also the sign on the fifth. Uh, and so water and earth signs are generally considered more fertile than the air and the fire signs. If you go through, again, the old books, uh, the fruitful and fertile signs are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. The semi-fruitful or semi-fertile signs are Libra, Taurus, and Capricorn. The so-called barren or infertile signs are Aries, Gemini, Libra again, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Aquarius. Now, I, I learned I didn't know any of this until I met Linda Goodman, and she learned this from her teacher in New York, Lloyd Cope. And this was also in Safariel's Manual of Astrology and so on. The old books have this, but people don't read the old books, so they don't know. Uh, the fourth house in a woman's chart shows her first child and so on. Now, the one and only client that Linda sent to me, this was a doctor's wife, a Scorpio, who showed up, Thomas, and I was, I think, about 26 at this point. I was trying out what I'd learned from Linda, and I said to this woman, uh, your first child was a girl. I said, let me just ask you a few questions to make sure this time of birth is right. And I said, first child was a girl. And she said, that's right. And then I said, looking at the sixth house, this second pregnancy is puzzling to me. Did you, did you have twins and lose one at birth? And she came up off the sofa. Oh, my God. I cannot believe you can see that. If I had not had a hysterectomy two years ago, I wouldn't even know this. They removed an undeveloped mass of teeth and hair from my second pregnancy. It was an undeveloped twin. Now, internally, I'm jumping up and down. It works, it works, it works. Externally, I'm trying to keep a professional straight face. Uh, and then you get into areas like Dr. Eugene Jonas, who was a Czech, Czechoslovakian psychiatrist and gynecologist and astrology, and his fertility cycle theory, which was back in the 70s, I first found this, and I've tried this too, try everything. His theory was that a woman is only fertile when the moon, transiting moon, is in exact the same relationship to the sun, the transiting sun, as it was at birth, and then take 12 hours on either side of that. So, for example, um, if a woman's moon, let's say, is 90 degrees ahead of her sun at birth, which is an opening square, then every month when the moon is exactly 90 degrees ahead of the sun, she will be fertile for about 12 hours on either side of the exact day and hour that the transiting moon is 90 degrees ahead of the sun. And if the moon is in a male sign, she will conceive a male. If it's in a female sign, she will conceive a female. Now, 
as usual with these things, I'm skeptical, but I tried that and it it has always worked for me. I don't have occasion to do it much anymore just because of who I read for. But I remember once telling a client, a woman, she came to me and she was pregnant and she wanted to know, know what sex it was. And I said, do you have any idea when you conceived? And or I said, how far along are you? And she told me something, I don't know, three months, two months. And I looked in the horoscope and I said, well, I went back to where the where she was fertile three months before, and I said, were you and your husband on a trip maybe across the country or back east somewhere when you conceived this? Because it looks like I can tell you the day you conceived, and yes, it's going to be a boy. And she said, oh, my God, that's right. We did. She remembered when <laughs> she conceived. So that's the... Jonas, Jonas theory of, of fertility. I don't know that if I were a woman, I would rely on this as opposed to contraception, but it has really proved true for me. And I guess Jonas believed that as the moon passes through the different signs of the zodiac, which are not the same as the constellations, by the way, a lot of astrologers make a huge mistake in thinking they're the same. Um, he believed that as the moon passes through different signs of the zodiac, the alkalinity of the womb is changing from acidity to, uh, or vice versa, uh, from acid to alkaline, uh, which affects the sedimentation of the sperm, and that that's why the conception rule seems to work. So according to him, all women have um, two monthly ovulation cycles one is the lunar and the other one is menstrual and the thing is that the menstrual cycle does not always sync with the lunar cycle and we have present day studies that show that about 40 percent of women have a clear biological potential to produce more than one egg in one month which means that the ovulation during menstrual cycles can be affected not just by hormonal changes but also the moon. Well, as we know, the tides on Earth respond to the moon, and our bodies are, what, 90-something percent water. And certainly the hormones are ruled by Pisces and, and the moon because they're, they're liquids and they're biochemicals, in other words. So hormonal changes are associated with the moon. And back in, um, gosh, I can't think of the year, but Jonas was conducting uh, – testing these theories at the Bratislava Clinic of Gynecology in Czechoslovakia. And his experiments were showing that his method was correct in predicting the sex of the baby in 83 out of 100 cases. So it's even more testing. He was getting 98% accuracy with this. So once again, we're talking about biological individual synchronicities with the solar system. Astonishing. All right, so let's go back to the question. So if a woman is looking for her first child in the fourth house, let's paint a picture of what she might see. Well, I, for example, in a solar arc webinar that I gave for Kepler College on November the 4th of 2017, three hours long, I rectified Donald Trump's chart to make sure that we would, because he has very late Leo rising. And when you see that, you'd better be darn sure that, that the time of birth is, is exact because he could have Virgo rising. 
And I rectified he the, the time of birth that we were given for him was only off by about four minutes, and it just changed his midheaven by one degree. But that he still winds up with Leo rising. But I show, I took them step by step. This is I don't know how many people were in this webinar, a lot of people, and showed them. Look at it. Donald Trump is a male, so his first child is ruled by his fifth house. Look at the sign on the cusp of his fifth male. Look at the ruler of the fifth, a male planet. Look at the sign the ruler is in, a male sign. So his first child is going to be a boy. And it was Donald Jr. Go to his second child, which is the seventh house in a man's chart. And he has Aquarius on that, which is a male sign. And again, you take Saturn and so on. You go through the same steps. His second child would be a girl. And it was. It was Ivanka. Now you go up to the ninth house for the third child and it's the same process. It should be a boy. And it was Eric. Then you go to his 11th house for his fourth child, Tiffany. And using the same procedure, it should be a girl. Then you go to his first house, which is his fifth child, the third from the 11th. And you get a boy. So it was exact for all five of his children. And I said, let's try this with his siblings. And sure enough, you go to his third house for his oldest siblings, Mary. His, each one of his, his second oldest siblings was, I forget, the, was it his brother Fred? or I can't remember. Anyway, that, that's the one that died of alcoholism, which was shown. But every one of his five children and his, I think he has three siblings, maybe four, Every one of those children and siblings was accurately predicted in his birth chart. And this only works with equal house. If he had had Virgo rising and I showed them, then everything would have been different. And astrology would have been wrong in four out of the five children. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're saying that this only works in the equal system. Right. One of the reasons you use it. That's exactly right. How often when you're doing readings will you start with something like this? Is your firstborn a male? Well, I, I, I really don't much anymore. Now, I, what I do do, I don't do it that way, but uh, I had a reading just the other day. What can you tell me about my son? And I said, do, do, you have, do you have two sons? And she said, yes. And so that, oh, that's all I needed to know. So I read the first son from her fourth house. And the first thing I said, well, I have to ask about his marriage. And she said, they're getting divorced. And I said, that's what I thought. That's all I'm asking. So that was, we started studying him. Then I moved on to her second child, her second son, and started reading him from her sixth house. And again, totally accurate. Well, this is truly an amazing technique. And it is something that you don't see in astrology. And I agree with you. Astrologers should know this. Well, it's, it's a matter, I think, of, you know, when I started out, all we really had were the old books. This was in 1965, and astrology was not on a resurgence yet. Really, Linda Goodman's book, Sun Science, is, I think, what kick-started the renaissance of astrology. It's the, it's the best pop astrology book ever written, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and Linda was not a deep astrologer. She did not do a lot of psychology. At, she didn't do any psychology. She didn't do medical astrology. Uh, she was very, uh, she was a predictive astrologer. She predicted events and she went in the past 
and talked about past events. So she was that kind of astrologer. And I learned a, a wealth of information. We were you know, friends when she was in Los Angeles, and I spent time house-sitting, actually, for her in Cripple Creek for a while. Uh, so I was able to, it was not like we sat down and had formal lessons. I would drive her around when she was in LA. We spent a lot of time together when she was there, San Luis Obispo and so on, uh, in Cripple Creek. So it was a lot of informal learning, asking questions and listening to what she had to say. But when I started out, it was all old books uh, until probably starting around the late 60s, um, there began to be a resurgence, and, and here came Sun Signs, which blew the roof off of it. It was the biggest nonfiction advance in publishing history at that time. And of course, it was and still is a, a bestseller in this field. I was reading nothing but the old books, and I mean all of them. And Linda was, I think, the one that turned me on to Safariel's Manual, in fact. Uh, which is another excellent book. And a lot of these old books are written from a fatalistic standpoint. And that's something that's very common in that era. Their understanding of astrology and their understanding of reality, frankly, and metaphysics was less developed than it is today, particularly with the advent of the Seth books, the Jane Roberts books, uh, and the nature of personal reality, which is one of those titles. Uh, Again, I'm a skeptic, but I'm also experimental, and I'll try things. And so I, as I began to understand this deeper layer, layer of, of metaphysics and astrology, it changes your perspective from fatalism to today. I tell people, oh, I'm afraid. To have, I don't want to know. I'm afraid to have my chart read. And I'm telling them astrology is the opposite of what you think. It is a way to free yourself from fate. The truth is you are creating your fate from moment to moment. You created your fate when you were born. You chose to be born. Your soul did. Nobody forces you to be born. You, your soul, chooses to be born for whatever the reasons are which do show in a horoscope. So if you come in without a limb, for example, if you're born without an arm or a leg or you're a thalidomide baby, uh, within those physical limitations, you still have incredible free will. Look at somebody like Stephen Hawking, who's born with a, pre a genetic predisposition toward ALS, which is a motor neuron disease. Ultimately, he wound up, he couldn't move anything. All he could do to communicate was to puff on a tube. So he was physically limited, but intellectually, he took his mind further. He explored that realm, that non-physical realm, further than anybody since Albert Einstein did, and has revolutionized astrophysics as a result of his work. So it was all internal. That was the only thing he had was that. So your fate, if you look at it in a horoscope, if you don't do anything about it, here is what will happen to you. And it's absolutely true. And some people love that. Oh, my God, my astrologer told me I was going to get divorced. And sure enough, I did. Well, that just reinforces the idea that astrology is fatalistic. And maybe the divorce is very good for you. Maybe it's not good for you. But if you want to change your fate, you have to understand why 
you would choose a marriage that would break up and it may simply be it's outlived its usefulness. That's usually what it is, really. But nobody can say that. You can't if you've got three children to put through college. Honey, I think our relationship has outlived its usefulness karmically. So now I'm going to move on. You can't. <laughs> but nonetheless, the idea that astrology is fatalistic is a total error if you are conscious and developing. It is fatalistic if you are passive and living a life. And many people will approach astrologers and what's going to happen to me? Tell me what's going to happen to me, as if they had nothing to do with it. To hear that question means they are so divorced from their own power that they are living, they, they'll listen to somebody else tell them what God is. They'll listen to somebody else tell them this, tell them that. They're all relying on external sources of information rather than looking into themselves and being honest about what they think and what they believe. And nothing like astrology shows you what you need to do to change your fate. But that's really the purpose of this. Far from being fatalistic, it's to free you from that been the theme of my subconscious mind mastery podcasts lately and is pretty much the topic of my new book coming out on uh, the science of getting rich remake of wallace waddle's old classic so yes yeah uh let's do something here real quick let's give people some of the resources on these older books and i've been able to find most of these on amazon and i'm not you know saying there are other places but one that Robert mentioned, and it was one of the first that he read, was Llewellyn's new, and this there's a new version and an old, and the new one is one that you'll find contemporarily, Llewellyn's new A to Z horoscope maker and interpreter, a comprehensive self-study course, and that book is available on Amazon. All right, the other one that he mentions frequently is Safarial. And this is interesting because Safarial, first of all, is spelled S-E-P-H-A-R-I-A-L. And the book that you are looking for is called Manual of Astrology, The Standard Work. Now, you can get online and search Manual of Astrology, and you'll find some PDF downloads. But it's, the book is a composition. That book that's on Amazon is a composition of four different books that are parsed out online. So you'll get book one or book four, and you'll think that you've got the Safarial Manual. There's more. So basically what you have to do is get that book, the Manual of Astrology, the Standard Work, and that has all four chapters. All right. Another one that he mentions is author Grant Louie. There are two titles there. And then Reinhold Ebertine, E-B-E-R-T-I-N, has written on Cosmobiology, and there are several titles there. Robert, is there anything else you would throw into that batch? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, it's probably impossible. Uh, but well, Sun Signs by Linda Goodman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the thing is, you know, Linda's describing Sun Signs really only, and she's doing it from a, a pop standpoint. It's a terrifically readable book. Well, they say she created it, basically. But she doesn't go into techniques at all. Yeah. So, and she never did. Yeah. So the techniques, you go back to Charles Carter. Uh, is it Ivy Jacobson Goldstein or Goldstein? J Ivy Jacobson Goldstein, I think. Her book on orary is, is fascinating. Um, and all of these books, you're going to get something from them. But particularly, uh, as I say, I started out with the A to Z delineator, which is huge and thick. 
And it stunned me because that's the book that when I, I got to a paragraph about my moon, it said, basically, you have a mole marker scar on the left side of your head or face from age five. And I just I do. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how can this old book be so accurate about a physical fact like that? And that that pretty much hooked me because I thought that can't be true. But it, of course, it is true. So all of them are, are, are good. And um, I, I can't encourage. I ahead. would I would add Mark Edmund Jones book on horary astrology oh, gosh, to that, yes, too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That'll get you started. <laughs> That'll give you about three or four years worth of reading right well, there. Well, it, it will. And I'll tell you, uh, Everteen's Combinations of Stellar Influences, when it was first published back in uh, either, either the late 60s or early 70s, for some reason, when I got that book, it came with a dial. It came with a cardboard dial and, you, and a transparent plastic uh, wheel over that. It, it, because we didn't have computers in those days to do this. But his interpretations of and explanations of the midpoints, for some reason, pulled everything together for me. I remember getting that book and beginning to study it and trying it. I thought, my gosh, this is what I've been looking for all this time. Well, it's only that was only true because I had already read so many other books at the same. I don't know if it would have had that impression on me if I had gotten it first. In fact, if I'd gotten it first, I probably wouldn't have been able to understand it. But but it's it's a wonderful book, Combinations of Stellar Influences. All right. This has been a really excellent walkthrough. And I know this is a complicated topic. Another place that this does show up, a resource we'll give you, is Kepler College has the workshop that Robert described, the three-hour solar arc workshop, where in the first half of that program, he describes this technique with the chart mentioned for Donald Trump, if you'd like to check that out. It still is for sale on the Kepler College website. Thank you, Anique, for a great question, Robert. An excellent answer. More Old Soul, New Soul with Robert Glasscock straight ahead. We'll see you in the next episode.